Welcome to the North Texas Panoramic Vision class. My name is Connor Messerly and I will be your moderator for this class. This is a school and it is not a church and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This class was established as a result of a divine vision and divine revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We hold classes in the United States, Canada, and certain other foreign countries. The North Texas Panoramic Vision class was established in the year 2021. In this class, we use the true, correct, original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in our physical body. Wait, what? The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. This means that Elohim is the title that our Creator chose for Himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in any good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord of God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state He is inscrutable and incomprehensible. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and balance of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within, the pure, within this pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the Word or Son, a superincorporeal being, that is, having the shape and form of a man but without flesh and blood. This form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, the self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah whom the world calls Jesus Christ. 
Now there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be attained by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The primary constitutional objectives and aims of the Institute are as follows. First, to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without the distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Fifth, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend for the common salvation of faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained there is no other name given among men whereby man, man must be saved, saving the name Yahshua the Messiah. Tenth, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. So our topic for today is what is the priesthood under the order of Mel Melchizedek? May we have our prayer by Dr. Sari Townsend from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm trying to un unmute. Good morning. Let us bow our hearts and minds. Um, <clears throat> it's always an honor to be here in class, as somebody said, in a safe place, in the presence of Yahweh. He has a divine purpose, and he's sharing that purpose with us ever since we walked through the front doors of a class called IDMR or um, this class, and we ask that Yahweh continues to bless us. He continues to give us his divine vision and not the delusions, and we pray that he keeps us steadfast in his liberty. May we all say hallelujah. 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 hallelujah.
All right, may we have a song by Dr. Gary Williams from the Olavando, Florida class. Good afternoon, class. Can you hear us? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, we're going to be singing This is Life Eternal. Thank you. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, beautiful. So our scripture lesson for today will be Hebrews, the seventh chapter. And our scripture readers will be Dr. Jackie McCain from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Dr. Lucy Altman from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, may we now have Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Read by um, Dr. Leonard James. Do you want to do it? Why not? Just give me one moment. Hebrews 7 chapter? Yes, Hebrews 7. Yep, that's correct. Uh, and that will be read from uh, the Holy Name Bible, which is Holy Name Bible, the Holy Name version of Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by the late A.B. Trainer Scripture Research Association, Inc. Hebrews, the seventh chapter. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High El, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation of the king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, whose father and mother were not recorded in the geologies as such, neither the beginning of his days nor the end of his life, but being a representation of the son of Yahweh for the continuance of the priesthood. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a, gave a tenth of the spoils. And verily they are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take ties of the people according to the law that is of the brethren who they come out of the loins of abraham but he whose descent is not counted from them received ties of abraham and blessed them and had the promises and with all contradiction the less is blessed by the better and here mortal men receive ties but there he received them of whom it is witness that he liveth forever. And if I may say so, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity, a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our savior sprang out of Judah 
of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who was made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a better hope did by which we draw near unto Yahweh. And as much as not without an oath was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, Yahweh swore and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Yahshua made a surety of a better covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But he, because he continueth ever an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to also to save them to uttermost that come unto Yahweh by him, seeing he ever liveth to make the intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself for the law, maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of oath, which was since the law maketh the son who is concentrated forevermore. And that was Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our first speaker today will be Dr. Cherie Williams from the Orlando, Florida class. Good afternoon, class. Good afternoon. You can hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It is always an honor and a privilege to have another opportunity to come and sit under this great divine vision and revelation that our Heavenly Father, Yahweh Elohim, through Yahshua the Messiah, did give our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the year of 1931. And that's exactly what we're preaching and teaching down here in this school is the divine vision and revelation that Dr. Kinley did receive directly from Yahweh Elohim, Yahshua himself. And the things that he saw is in exact agreement with those things penned and documented in the law and in the prophets, even in the biology, uh, a biography, I should say, of Yahshua the Messiah and the spiritual reality. I've heard him say many times on SoundCloud that if what he teaches is not in total and exact agreement with what's written in the Bible, that he's a liar just like the rest. But those of us that have been around a while and have 
done our research and checked these things out for ourselves, we know that those things that Yahweh, Elohim, Yahshua gave the founder is truly in exact agreement because the self-same one that gave him the vision is the self-same one that gave the visions down through the ages and dispensations of time. And the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, the vision that he had, it included the vision that Moses had. It included the visions of the prophets and the patriarchs. It included the revelation that John the Revelator received. Hit all of their visions is encouched within Dr. Henry Clifford Kenley's vision. That's why it is in exact agreement. Now we've learned since we've been in class that eternal life is to know, as we read in John 17 and three, is to know our heavenly father, Yahweh Elohim, and Yahshua the Messiah whom he has sent. And we also learn in John 14, 26, that Yahshua the Messiah, he is the teacher. He's the self-same one that taught the founder in the divine vision and revelation that he received. And he is our teacher down here in this school. Yahshua is. And when he does teach his people, he teaches by going to the law and to the prophets. As we read in Isaiah 8 and 20, Yahshua speaking through him says, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, talking about Elohim, who is the word of son. It is because there's no light in them or no Holy Spirit in them. And Yahshua, uh, in his ministry, he told the people, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Mm -hmm. So the law and the prophets are Yahshua's two witnesses, okay? So now the topic being, what is... What, Connor, can you quote for me the, the uh, topic for today? I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah, I'll quote the topic for you. Mm -hmm. um, give me one second. I'm getting right here. All right, so the topic is, what is the priesthood under the order of Melchizedek? What is the priesthood under the order of Melchizedek? And that's what our scripture lesson dealt with today. Um, if you can get for me... Uh, the first and second verses in the scripture lesson. And then we're going to drop down and pick up a couple of others as well. And then we'll get rolling. Hebrews 7, seven and 1. Go ahead, Jackie. Hebrews 7 and 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high El, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Okay, so Melchizedek, uh, being the king of Salem, which means king of peace, mm -hmm. right? And king mm -hmm. of righteousness. In other words, Melchizedek, who blessed Abraham, is a type and a shadow of Yahshua the Messiah. Now, from a natural standpoint, there is no documentation 
of the beginning of Melchizedek's life or the ending of days, okay? So showing forth and a type of priest without end or an eternal priesthood. Uh, let's see. Let's pick up the 11th verse, if you would. And yeah, go ahead with 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there than another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For Read this on. For this priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Okay, that's good right there. Thank you. Okay, so now uh, he is referring to the Levitical priesthood. And because the priesthood was changed, there had to be a necessity uh, of a change in the law. So in other words, that old law that Moses and the children of Israel receive at Mount Sinai, right? As they gathered around the mountain and we read in Exodus the 20th chapter where Yahweh is speaking his law in the hearing of the children of Israel. And um, in this law, there's not just 10 commandments but you have a total of 613 laws, ordinances and judgments that the children of Israel were supposed to keep. Now, the thing about that old law was it just went in one ear and came out of the other. It was not written in their hearts and in their minds. So down here now, um, there had to be a change, you see, of the law. In other words, it's spiritual now. But now let's take a moment and just look at back here the law being spoken into the hearing of the children of Israel in this law here. Okay, uh, let's go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. 20 and 1? Yes, please. Exodus 20 and 1. And Elohim spake all these words, saying, I am Yahweh, thy Elohim, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no Elohim before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven idol or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, Yahweh, thy Elohim, am a jealous Elohim, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Okay, hold it right there. Okay, so now you see that I have an echo. Somebody can turn off the mic. Okay, uh, so now you can see that Yahweh is reminding the children of Israel that he brought them out of the land of Egypt and he tells them not to have any other God before him because he is a jealous Elohim. And he said that he will visit that iniquity uh, against the third and fourth generations of them that hate him. So if you uh, put anything before Yahweh, our Elohim, right, that's idolatry. See, see now when the children of Israel gathered around this mountain here, uh, this is like unto a marriage. 
because you come to find out that the children of Israel were told before the law was spoken down, Moses was told to have the children of Israel to wash up and clean up, which is, this was June the 3rd. And he said against the third day, which would be June the 6th, he was going to speak his law until the hearing of the children of Israel. So you got a precept of a washing there before they receive this law spoken into their hearing. You kind of find out also that Moses uh, took the blood and sprinkled the people and the book after he wrote uh, that law in a book. You see, you see, it's dedicated with blood there. So from a natural standpoint, at least when I got married the first time, uh, we had to get a blood test. You get what I'm saying? So you got uh, blood being manifest, you see, and the woman, don't she get all cleaned up and all adorned to be probably as pretty as she'll ever be when she's presented to her husband. You understand? In that ceremony, right? Now, if you look up train, you know that a woman wears a, a train in a, a wedding ceremony. If you look up the word train, if somebody could get that for me, it talks about it being a great multitude of people. Now, I, I learned all these things since I've been in this class. I didn't learn this in Mount Mariah Baptist Church as I was christened and brought up in that church for some 18 years. They didn't teach this in my church. <laughs> you understand what I mean? All right. Uh, you can stay with the Moses chart. Thank you very much. Uh, whoever has trained, um, that would be helpful. It talk, and you may have to scan down a little bit and pick up where it talks about a group of people. Because you see the whole multitude of the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. You see, as they migrated uh, to this mountain here, it was like unto a train. You got it, somebody? Yeah, I got something here. It says, um, a moving file of persons, vehicles, or animals. A moving file, did it say? Yes. Of, of people. You understand? So while the children of Israel coming through the divided waters of that Red Sea and migrating to that uh, Mount Sinai, that's like unto a train, just like a woman has a train behind her beautiful wedding gown as she is uh, coming to the altar, if you will, to be married. Now, Yahweh gave the children of Israel his name, remind them that I'm Yahweh, thy Elohim, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they received his name, is dedicated with blood and they had to clean up before the fact, three days before, you get what I mean? So that's a marriage going on. But the problem is the children of Israel could not keep that old law. There was no Holy Spirit in them to keep that law. So they broke it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, before 40 days were up, when Moses called back up in that mountain, before he could get back down, they had built that golden calf. The very thing Yahweh said not to do, that's what she did. In other words, she went a horn on her husband. In other words, she committed adultery out here, you know, in uh, 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 the wilderness of Sinai. You get it? So my point in bringing this out is that that law was external to the children of Israel. You understand? Which is a typical people likened unto the bride. So as long as that law was external to her, then she could not keep it, you understand? And if you have done your research, you find out that over and over and over again, the children of Israel are worshiping idol gods and making Yahweh angry. And he would put her in Babylonian captivity and 
he he would put them in bondage to this people and that people, and all because she kept worshiping idol gods and breaking his law. You understand? In other words, going a whoring on him, their husband. You follow what I mean? But they had a case of the king help us. They couldn't keep it. You understand? That's why it took Joshua to come in and keep it. Now, we want to talk about the priest there. Every single day, uh, the Levitical priesthood and Aaron, he was the only high priest in the wilderness of Sinai uh, as they wandered there in that wilderness for some 40 years. Uh, Aaron was the only high priest. And so on the Day of Atonement, we know that he would go in all the way into the most holy place that was the only time he was allowed to go in that most holy place but the point is that the priest you see uh the first offering that was offered up i believe it was a, if i'm not mistaken a bullock uh he went in and offered this offering and sprinkled the seven uh sprinkles of blood toward, toward that mercy seat for his sins and for the errors of his family then he went in and uh offered up the blood, the second sprinkles of blood in there, you need, you know, for the errors of the people of the children of Israel. And then the third time was for the cleansing of the sanctuary, making 21 times he sprinkled out blood. But now as we read in our scripture lesson, you see this uh, Levitical priesthood does not come up under the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal priesthood, a righteous priest, priesthood without beginning and without end. You get it? Okay. Uh, you can leave it there on the chart if you don't mind. That would be good. Okay. So now what happens is just before they cross this Jordan River here, going into uh, Canaan's land or Jerusalem beneath, uh, Moses was told to go up uh, upon Mount Nebo. And uh, he said he could look over at the promised land, but he was not allowed to go over. You see, because Moses cannot take the children of Israel into Canaan's land or Jerusalem beneath because going into Jerusalem beneath is a type and a shadow of going into heaven itself. You follow me? So only Yahshua the Messiah is the one that could take us on in, you know, to immortality at his universal revelation, which is shortly to be revealed. So therefore, in this migration, you know, in this migratory pattern, right, from Egypt, the wilderness, into Canaan's land, right, uh, if you think about it, Yahshua was with the children of Israel all the way through. Because down in the land of Egypt, right, remember when Moses fled for his life because he had killed that Egyptian? Ten years after that, Yahoshua, whom the world called Joshua, the son of Nun that fought the battles of Jericho, he appeared down there in the land of Egypt. And he was there for 30 whole years before he commissioned Moses at the burning bush to come down there in the land of Egypt. And when those 10 devastating plagues were poured out, Yahshua is the one that was bringing it to pass. He's fighting their battles, the children of Israel battle down in the land of Egypt, that they might be delivered as he had promised Abraham that he would deliver her. You see, then when they come into the wilderness of Sinai and they were in several battles, even in the wilderness of Sinai, you see what I mean? Yahshua is incognito in Egypt. Yahshua is incognito, you see, as it were, for those 40 years 
in the wilderness of Sinai, he is the true high priest in the greater and more perfect tabernacle and type and shadow back here as the migratory pattern. So he is high priest in Egypt. He is high priest in the wilderness of Sinai. And after that, 40 years was expired. Now Moses, they're looking at Moses in Egypt, right? They're looking at Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. But now it's time for them to see who their true deliverer is. So Moses got to go in Mount Nebo and die. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, he gave, as it were, Joshua, truly Joshua, charge in the eyesight of the people so that the confidence they had in Moses, they can now have it in Joshua because they didn't know who Joshua was. You get what I mean? He was incognito in Egypt. He was incognito in the wilderness of Sinai. But he was the high priest all the time in this institution here, back here with Moses and the children of Israel in this migratory pattern. So then when they get ready to cross this Jordan here, you see, Moses got to die. You understand what I'm saying? And it's got to be Yahoshua, whom they call Joshua, that takes the children of Israel on over into Canaan's land or Jerusalem beneath. And this is where the children of Israel got their natural inheritance. You get what I mean? Uh, from a natural standpoint, uh, the tabernacle stood 40 years in the wilderness and on Mount Zion, it stood another 450 years on Mount Zion, right? And the last 10 years, uh, which made 480, uh, from 480 to 490, right? This is where Solomon is building this temple. Okay, and uh, he's making other vessels because it's on a greater scale going into this temple here. Uh, whereas you have one seven branch lampstand in the tabernacle, in the temple you have 10. You have one table of showbread, in the temple you have 10. But now you only have one altar of incense because Yahshua is the only mediator between Yahweh and man. But the point I'm, I'm trying to bring out is that Yahshua is the high priest in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, which means the earth plane in this migratory pattern. You get what I mean? And he's with Israel from Egypt in the wilderness into Canaan's land, even though their focus was not on uh, Yahoshua or Joshua until they cross this Jordan. Now you kind of find out that uh, Joshua, truly Yahoshua, he circumcised the children of Israel. Because you read that in, oh boy, uh, Joshua, your scripture readers help me out. Uh, he has to circumcise the children of Israel. Um, you, you know where that is, scripture readers? I think Jackie, you read that for me before. I don't, I can't put my finger on it right now. Thank five. you so much. Thank you, Dr. Five and one. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward. It was a okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> westward, uh, which were by the sea, heard that heard that Yahweh had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. and, in other words, uh, the fame of Yahweh destroying Pharaoh and his hosts and destroying the land of Egypt with those 
10 devastating plagues, that fame went before Israel. And when they heard that the people of Yahweh were coming, they just had no strength. They just left vineyards. They gave up homes. They gave up flocks and just, you know, got up out of there. And Israel was given everything on a civil platter, as it were. Go ahead. At that time, Yahweh said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskin. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way, after mm -hmm. they came out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Now, all the people that came out were circumcised but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them, they had not circumcised. Okay, well, hold it right there. Hold it right there. Okay, so you got the old heads that came out of Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they were circumcised, okay? Because Yahweh had given Abraham that uh, law of circumcision, eight days of the birth of a male child, they had to be circumcised. But as mm -hmm. they wandered in the wilderness, the children that were born there, you see, they didn't circumcise them. So therefore, before they could cross over this Jordan and get their natural inheritance, which is a type mm -hmm. of going into heaven itself, you understand what I mean? Like, like at the universal revelation of Yahshua the Messiah, right? We're not going into immortality with these physical bodies, you guys. You know, mm -hmm. these physical bodies, they got to come off. You understand me? So uh, uh, circumcising them before they get that inheritance is typical, is prefiguring that we are not going into immortality in these physical bodies. Yahshua gonna circumcise these. You understand me? So it's gotta be manifest in this migration here. So uh, he circumcised them before they got their natural inheritance. You get what I'm talking about? See, so you're seeing the high priest, Yahshua, I, I almost said Messiah, and it is, but you know, that's Yahshua, the son of Nun. You get what I mean? He is the true high priest in this migration of the children of Israel in the greater and more perfect tabernacle. So now he being a true high priest after the order of Melchizedek is an eternal, a, a righteous you know, priesthood without beginning and without end. You follow me? So then when you come all the way down to the end here with Yahshua the Messiah, you get it? When he, okay, before we do that, let's read, uh, let's go to Joshua. Uh, what is that, you guys, 24? I just want to uh, show you how that um, they, they presented themselves before Yahweh. 24 and you know all that and and i sent abraham and i did this and i did that you know joshua 24 and one okay and joshua gathered all the tribes of israel to shechem and called for the elders of israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before elohim mm -hmm. and joshua said unto all the people thus saith yahweh elohim of israel your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, 
and the father of Nacor, and they served idols. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Okay, hold it for just a minute. So what's going on is you have Joshua, truly Yahushua, right? The son of Nun. They say that they presented themselves before Yahweh. Now here is Yahweh in a physical body, body back there. Okay, five minutes. I see that. Thank you. Uh, 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 that's Yahweh in a physical body back there setting up or, or instituting. You understand what I mean? So now he's got to let them know who he is. He's got to reveal himself to the brethren. You get what I'm saying? And he said, now I sent Abraham. Go ahead. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Mm -hmm. Verse 5, I sent Moses also and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt. According mm -hmm. to that, which I did among them, and afterward, I brought you out. Okay, that's okay. good. Hold it right there. Okay, you can finish reading that on your own uh, at home there. Uh, that, that's uh, Joshua revealing who he is. This is Yahweh Elohim in a physical body, instituting, right? He is what? The author and finisher of our faith. So he's the high priest back here in the migration of the children of Israel in the institution. So when we come down to Yahshua the Messiah, born through the lawns of the Virgin Mary, he is the true high priest, you understand? Over here in his ministry, fulfilling mm -hmm. everything that he set up back there with Moses and the children of Israel. You get what I'm talking about? So he's the true high priest fulfilling the law and the prophets. When he's born through the lawns of the Virgin Mary. And this priesthood of Yahshua the Messiah is after the order of Melchizedek because it has no beginning and has no end. It's an eternal priesthood. It is a righteous priesthood. You follow me? And the law uh, being changed, it was of necessity a change of the priesthood. Let's go ahead and get Jeremiah 31, 31. And I feel like I'm not doing this no justice. Hell <laughs> mercy, Joshua. But I'm sure the next speakers will pick it up. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh -huh. Behold, the days come, said Yahweh, that mm -hmm. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. And they okay. shall- Go ahead, go ahead. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, said okay, Yahweh. That's, that's good, right there. Okay, so the law, the old law was written on tables of stone, sandstone in the shape of a heart, you know, and the second tables of stone was sealed in this Ark of the Covenant, typifying that the 
uh, spirit law, the, which is the Holy Spirit in us, must be sealed in our hearts and in our minds. So he's writing the law in our hearts and in our minds today. I'm talking about the true high priest, Yahshua the Messiah. Okay? And that's what's going on each and every time that we come to class. Yahshua yeah. is speaking in the new uh, uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Just like he spoke in the old. We said, let there be light and there was light. Let the waters be divided and there was divided. Let the seed of vegetation come forth. He's speaking in the old law. or the I'm, I'm saying the old creation. So down here now, by the preaching of the gospel, Yahshua Messiah, he's speaking in the new creation. See, so at his universal revelation, we're talking about the true high priest, Yahshua, the Messiah. You get what I mean? He said, mm. we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, but not in these physical bodies. These bodies must come off. You understand? Mm. And Yahshua is going to circumcise them at his universal revelation before we get our spiritual inheritance, even though we're getting the inheritance right now. We're being translated into his kingdom right now. You understand? But we're still on this side, as it were, in the wilderness. But when we cross that second veil and his universal revelation, the flesh got to go because flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. And then we don't have to be bothered no more with the devil. You understand? We will live in righteousness with Yahweh, Elohim, and Yahshua saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All praises and honor going to Yahweh, our Elohim, through Yahshua, the Messiah, our Savior. Hallelujah. 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 So our second speaker for day, today will be Dr. Diane Emler from the Oceanside class. Uh, I'm sorry, Diane had to step out of the room, so she's not available right now. So Dr. Carl Emler, can you be our second speaker, please? Yeah, she'll pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so we're talking about the priesthood. It's kind of uh, interesting um, when uh, we think of priests nowadays. And one of the things that Shri has covered, and I'm just going to reiterate a little bit, is that um, Yahweh dealt with the children of Israel specifically uh, from the time of the Abrahamic promise. And Yahweh carried his conscious uh, awareness, that is to say, he appeared to the Jews, to the Hebrews. Um, uh, he appeared to Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, who later became Israel. And uh, in all of the prophets <clears throat> that uh, came down through that we read in what we call the Old Testament, were all uh, children of Israel, that is to say, descendants from Israel. And Yahweh uh, has chosen these people. These were chosen people. These people did not uh, seek out Yahweh and uh, and then decide amongst the gods of uh, Canaan's land, this is the one we're going to worship. But in fact, Yahweh uh, chose Abraham back before Abraham was circumcised, back before Abraham's name was Abraham. It was Abram. 
uh, Yahweh chose him initially to bring forth these people as a typical people. Uh, and that typical people means just this. Uh, they are a type. Uh, this is an important type. This is a, a type that um, is very significant in the uh, purpose of God or the purpose of Yahweh, that Yahweh chose a singular um, lineage, a singular uh, people to give to them uh, uh, this Ten Commandment law that you see uh, on the left side of this chart being spoken to Israel from the, from the top of the mountain. That's what's represented by that heart and the lips up there. The children of Israel gathered at the base of the mountain um, heard these Ten Commandments being spoken. And they said that all that Yahweh said, we will do and we will be obedient. And Cherie made this point, and it, it needs to be emphasized, uh, not that she didn't, but I'm a repeater, <laughs> but it needs to be emphasized that what Yahweh is doing all the way down through the bulk of the law and the prophets, and I say it that way because prior to Abraham, back with uh, Noah and the rest, uh, um, they weren't Israelites, but Yahweh brought forth the Israelites from those peoples. Uh, but when Yahweh decided to make himself known through a covenant, through this law of Moses to give people laws to follow, uh, he made himself known to a, a specific select uh, slice of the population of the world. And that slice of the population, to this day, we call the Jewish nation or the Hebrews. To this day, we call them Jews. And back at the time that uh, Yahweh identified this um, population chosen from all of the people in the world through choosing Abraham, a single man, uh, he uh, chose from that one man uh, this people who he led, who he revealed uh, his covenant uh, here in Mount Sinai, told them what would please him and what would displease him. In other words, he told the people what would please God, what would please Yahweh, and what wouldn't please Yahweh. And Yahweh did this very specifically for a reason. This is not an arbitrary thing. It's not like God or Yahweh didn't like the other people in the world and only liked Abraham. And so therefore he chose uh, Abraham and his lineage because he liked them the best. That's not what happened here. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think uh, uh, it's over there in the, is it the ninth chapter of Exodus about choosing um, does anyone, is it 926? Deuteronomy uh, 7 Deuteronomy. and 7. <laughs> um, I want it where it says, uh, I have not chosen you because you were such a greater in number. Yes. That's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7 and 7. Well, I was close. At least I was in the law. Go ahead. <laughs> 
Yahweh did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because Yahweh loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, as Yahweh brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. All right, so so this is uh, the second telling of the law. And so this is after um, all that was said and done with coming up out of Egypt, spending 40 years in the wilderness and getting ready to go into Canaan's land. And that's why it seems to be talking about this as far as history, that he had redeemed them out of the bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, because it was 40 years ago that he did that. But Yahweh made this choice um, through Abraham. And this is the oath that um, is spoken about here in Deuteronomy 7 and 8, that uh, the oath that was signed uh, through the flesh of the sons of Abraham, and that is to say, the sign of circumcision. And um, so this uh, chosen people, Yahweh made the choice. Yahweh chose these people, and he set his love on them, not for anything, that they did, uh, not that they were a great people, or, or but that Yahweh had set his love upon them. Now, take me back to the uh, Moses chart, if you would, please. So these people, and, and, and I'm making this emphasis because uh, the world, and I'm talking about my experience as a Christian and everybody else I talk to experiences as a Christian, do not understand why uh, Yahweh has chosen these people, the Israelites, uh, and has spent so much time with them and has given them so much, uh, 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 what do we call it, uh, hands-on uh, experience. He gave them the law at Mount Sinai. First, before Moses brought those tablets down, Yahweh spoke in that law, and the people, the children of Israel said, all that Yahweh said, we will do and be obedient. And I think Sheree talked about this being a marriage, and that's where we get our marriage uh, uh, vows from, from this uh, interaction that Yahweh has with this very specific people, the, the, the Israelites or the Jews. And he gave through Moses a vision that describe this tabernacle that you see here in the wilderness of Sinai, but the tabernacle also included a priesthood. And this priesthood was a physical priesthood that had garments of beauty and glory. This physical priesthood, they had to have washings at the labor uh, uh, on this tabernacle. They, uh, the priest would be washed. The priest would be anointed with oil. Uh, the priest would uh, minister the sacrifices of the people for their sins. So if they sinned, they would bring a sacrifice to these guys, these priests. And the priests would offer up the sacrifice on this altar of burnt offering. And then on the Day of Atonement, there would be a whole lot of ceremony, etc., in order to accomplish uh, salvation for these people or that have them have their sins atoned for. And this priesthood operated every day in this tabernacle. And the Day of Atonement was once a year, every year. And this occurred 
for um, the 1490 years or however timing you want to do it until the time of the Messiah. So when the Messiah comes, the Messiah has conversation with these priests. Now, these priests that I'm talking about are the same ones this day that you would encounter if you went to a synagogue and sat in synagogue, if you were a Jew or if you uh, um, um, uh, uh, made believe you were a Jew to get into the synagogue and just to see what's going on. But these priests were the same, are of the same order all the way back to here in um, uh, the wilderness of Sinai. And they're, Levit they're Levites. I mean, actually um, uh, from the tribe of Levi, you, you had to be a Le today. You have to be a Levite to be a Jewish priest. Still today, not every every day Jew can be a, a a high priest. They have to be from the priesthood tribe, the tribe of uh, Levi. And so that's what we've have in 2022. We have these priests, but uh, due to the uh, um, uh, uh, inability for uh, uh, Christianity to understand that this priesthood was set up by Yahweh for the Jews and to the Jews only. They have copied this priesthood. And so when you go into Roman Catholic Church, you have a, a priest that you call a priest, and he has garments of beauty and glory. He wears a, a, a head uh, piece, uh, you know, on his head, different kinds of shapes, etc. Uh, he uh, baptizes people. He anoints people. So, for instance, if people are dying, they give them the extreme unction, etc. He anoints people. He goes into his building, his church, and he lights candles like they did in this tabernacle with this uh, um, uh, 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 lampstand. Uh, they would offer up in this tabernacle, there was bread to eat on the table of shoe bread. And so you go into your churches and you get these little wafers. Uh, and it's supposed to be the same bread that uh, Jesus broke at the, ta at the table at uh, the Last Supper when he handed everybody bread. I'm telling you this, he did not give people wafers. Jesus, Joshua, did not give people wafers at the Last Supper. He gave them a nice hunk of bread and wine and not a little thimble either. He gave them a chalice of wine and there was a meal they had lamb it was a big deal it wasn't like what you get on sunday you understand and then there's incense and the priest the catholic priests carry that little incenser around and blow smoke in the in the the church etc and so they go through all of the self-same uh, uh manifestations that these chosen people the jews did here uh during uh uh, uh, the time, now listen to me, during the time that Yahweh had chosen the natural physical Israel as a type or a typical people in order to instruct us in the invisible spiritual aspect of a priesthood, of a temple, of a worship. Now, Go to uh, uh, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, because I want you to uh, to see that it is within the prophecy of the very 
Jews or Hebrews themselves, where we find out about the difference between uh, the operation of this covenant that was given uh, to Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, which included this priesthood. We're going to learn something about the difference between this covenant and what you, uh, if you're practicing Christianity and flip to the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you look at that and say, well, that's the New Testament or the New Covenant. And everything with Moses and the prophets under there, that's that old God or the Old Testament. Now, uh, give me Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, listen, now this is a prophecy. And this is why we're going to find that when Yahshua came, when the Messiah came, what the world calls Jesus, he was a Jew or a Hebrew, and he came to the Jews and the Hebrews because this prophecy was given to the Jews in the Hebrews here in Jeremiah 31, 31. And it says this, that behold, there are going to come days when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it's not, you read that again, if you would, it is not going to be. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith Yahweh. So here he calls himself the husband, just as Sharia talked about that this was a marriage way back here. He calls himself the husband to the children of Israel. But he says that he's going to make a new covenant with him. And the new covenant is not going to look like the old covenant. It is not going to be according to the covenant that I made with them uh, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And the reason why it's not going to look like that is because they all broke that covenant. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it makes no sense. And this is what they say that the, the, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. He's not going to give them the same covenant to the same people and expect something miraculous is going to happen. And now they're going to keep it. He has to give them a new covenant that's not going to be like this old covenant. All right, read on in Jeremiah. 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said Yahweh, I will put my law in their inward part and write it in their heart and will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. So this old covenant did not get in the people, but it did get in this tabernacle. Go, go back to the, I'm sorry. I, I appreciate you trying to keep up with me, but yeah, this is this this will work just fine for me. This, <laughs> this old covenant, uh, uh, this table of stones got put into the tabernacle uh, in the most holy place in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, uh, uh, but it did not get into the people. So the law 
was not a part of the people. It didn't get into the people. So they had to memorize it. They had to try to remember it. They had to try to follow it as good as they can. And none of them were perfect enough. None, none of them were committed enough. None of them saw the importance of this law enough to be able to keep this law. And Yahweh knew that that was going to be the case. But in order for them to understand the law that they will be able to keep, he had to give them a manifestation of the law they couldn't keep so they could understand an invisible principle. Because if you got something in you, you can't see it with your natural eyes. So uh, uh, some people have things going on in them. They have to go to a psychiatrist to find out, oh, is that what's going on in me? They don't even know what's going on in their own head. Do you understand? And so when we're talking about this new covenant, this new covenant is going to be uh, written in their hearts and written in their uh, in their minds. Uh, give me uh, um, Ezekiel 36, I think it is. And this is another expression of the same change in covenants. 36 and 24. Please, yes. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I would take you from among the heathens and gather you out of all countries and will bring you unto your own land. Then will I sprinkle you with clean water. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. All right, now let's just look at all of these things that this prophecy was. He says, I'm going to take you from among the heathen. Well, that's what they did. Uh, that's what Yahweh did with Abraham. And how did Yahweh take a Abraham from among the heathen? Because Abraham was a heathen. Uh, as well as all the rest of them, is is Yahweh uh, made Abraham to be uh, 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 sanctified in his name. How? He changed his name and gave him a new name. He gave him the sign of a circumcision, which was a sign in the flesh to show forth uh, that there was a, that he was a different people. And from that point on, he worked with the Israelites. And this was all a typical people because now he's going to do this in the spirit. And this is what uh, 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 Ezekiel is talking about. I will give him a new spirit and I will uh, put it in and he will take the stony heart out of their flesh. And see, Moses has got this table of stone. And to this day, people are carving the Ten Commandments on stone and putting it in front of buildings and everything else. Well, he said, I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is to say, a heart of flesh represents living tissue, not stone, not a dead tissue. This covenant was dead works. Uh, Paul talks about uh, the dead works of this covenant. I'm not sure exactly where it is. I'm terrible with scripture. So, But uh, this covenant was dead works. And the new covenant is written in the heart and in the mind. It is a new spirit, and it's not going to be like this old covenant. If it was, it wouldn't be new. Now, let's look at this old covenant. This old covenant had a natural priesthood. This old covenant's natural priesthood had garments of beauty and glory, lit candles, washed people, anointed people, uh, carried incense, uh, and accepted sacrifices, and was responsible. These people, these men, 
were responsible to administer the salvation to the people outside who brought their sacrifices. So men on earth uh, 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 managed the salvation, if you will, of men on earth in this particular covenant. Now in the new covenant, you're not, it's not going to be like that. So you're not going to find a natural physical uh, 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 man. You're not going to find natural physical glory, glory uh, garments. You're not going to find a natural physical building like the temple was a magnificent structure, but it was still a natural physical structure. And now we try to recreate that with the temples in Rome and the temples in England and all these other stained glass windows. It's just not going to be like that because that's just more of the same. Now, uh, give me the eighth chapter of Hebrews and I'll finish with that. Hebrews 8 and 1. Please. Now with the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Now hold it right there, because what the things we have spoken is what we read about in our scripture reading, 7th chapter of Hebrews. Um, and so then it talked about the Melchizedek priesthood, and then it talked about the uh, uh, Aaron priesthood, and this is the Aaron priesthood that I've been spending this time, and Sharia has also spent time discussing. Now, uh, of the things we have spoken, all of this history, and I just reiterated the history of Yahweh with the Hebrews here, with the Jews. Read it. Read on. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which Yahweh pitched and not man. All right, hold on. So now you're beginning to see that this natural tabernacle, which man pitched, which was given to man by Yahweh, but man built it, pitched it in there, had a natural uh, uh, priesthood. And what I had said was that uh, this was a type in a shadow and the new one was not going to be like this old one. And so uh, uh, this is just in what you call the New Testament saying the same thing. And because what we're telling, we're not telling you anything that's a product of our imagination. We go into the law, we go into the prophets and we show the fulfillment. And then we show the, the uh, result of the new covenant. And this is the result of a new covenant. Now we have a different kind of a priest. It's not like this priest back here. Start that again, uh, Lucy. I'm sorry, right from one. Hebrews 8, 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which Yahweh pitched and not man. So this high priest is in heaven, not come down from heaven, not waiting for him to come down from heaven. This high priest currently presently is in heaven or in the heavenly kingdom. Read on. Verse three, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Now he's going back to these other high priests, the old ones, the one that you see in the tabernacle. Now they offered gifts and sacrifices, and that's what we discussed. Go ahead. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. So this new high priest is going to have to have some kind of gifts and sacrifices to offer. Now read on. For if he were on earth, he should not be a high priest. Now, let's just, just, let's just take this for a minute, because we need to look at these words closely. If this high priest were on earth, 
which lets you know this high priest is not on earth. But we already know that because the beginning of the eighth chapter talks about this as the high priest in heaven. So he's not on earth. But if he was on earth, he would offer physical sacrifices because that's what physical priests do. But this high priest, this one's not on earth and he's not going to offer uh, uh, physical sacrifices. So Lucy, pick it up from if again. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. All right, hold it right there. So here in your Bible, it tells you that these priests who operated in the wilderness of Sinai, these Hebrew or Jewish priests that we've discussed, the ones who operated in the temple, were types and shadows. Read that again, Lucy, please. Uh, for if he were a priest, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. These are examples yeah. and shadows of heavenly things, things that you can't see unless you get into heaven or the kingdom. These are heavenly things. Read on, Lucy. As Moses was admonished to bellow him. And he takes you all the way back to Moses. Uh, and that's where we've been. All the way back to when Yahweh was dealing with the Jews. Read on. When he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. And this was a pattern. Now, I'm just going to leave you with um, uh, um, Romans, I think it's uh, 9.26. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. I think it'll be 24, maybe. Or is it Hebrews? 2.28 um, of Romans. <laughs> I'm so bad. Uh, go to 2.26, maybe. Romans. Romans 2.26, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the unrighteous of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? So this is a whole discussion on circumcision that uh, Paul's having because they thought they should circumcise the Gentiles and, and the circumcision in the flesh was moved out of the way because remember, everything that happened with the Jews back there under the old covenant was physical and fleshly and Abraham's circumcision was physical and fleshly. But Abraham re received blessings from Yahweh before he was circumcised. Circumcision was just a sign under the law. And so Paul's making the point that the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised now because circumcision, physical circumcision was under the law. That's been fulfilled to move out of the way. But now what does he say? Read on. Uh, 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. So we have been talking about Jews all this time with Moses and Abraham and Isaac and all the way down through the Messiah was a Jew and he came to the Jews. 
But the new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant. The old covenant was made with natural, physical Jews. The new covenant is not going to be made that way because now under the new covenant, he is not a Jew who is outwardly or physical. And the circumcision is not physical either uh, or outward in the flesh. 29. 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of Yahweh. And you could not understand being a Jew in the spirit if they, if Yahweh hadn't manifested for 14, uh, for years, decades, uh, millennia, uh, the Jews in the flesh. Uh, I'm done. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. So our third speaker for today will be Dr. Dennis Volpe. Good afternoon, everyone. I just want to do a sound check to make sure everybody can hear me okay. Yes, we can hear you. Great. Sir. Okay. I want to say that this subject matter that uh, was chosen for today about the priesthood in particular the Melchizedek priesthood, there are so many things that we could go into uh, to work with this subject matter, but I'm going to try to work off of what the previous speakers have said and try to just uh, develop it a little bit further. Now, I want to just, in a way of uh, uh, making a point that most of us are aware of, I just want to cover this anyway. We have to always remember that we used to call Romans 119 and 20. We used to say that that was our theme song, that the physical things or the natural things are pointing to spiritual things. Now, Yahweh set it up that way because these natural things have to be laid down for 4,000 years down through the law and the prophets to manifest and demonstrate a spiritual principle that will be revealed after Pentecost. Now, what we find out is that the things that we have studied down through the writings of Moses and the prophets are witnesses. They are actually witnesses to spiritual principles. Uh, run over real quick, go over and get uh, Acts, the seventh chapter. I think it's around 44 that our fathers in the wilderness had the tabernacle. I want you to get that. I might have called. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's 744, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh-huh. At uh -huh. 744, our fathers uh -huh. had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Now, the tabernacle, the tabernacle was a tabernacle of witnesses. I know it says witness, uh, and that's true. But really, the tabernacle can be broken apart into a multiplicity of uh, manifestational things that point to and witness to the purpose of Yahweh. And we have to really understand that it's essential and necessary for us to go back and try to work with what we find is written about that tabernacle and see how that, that is pointing to this principle, this, this new covenant that we're under now. Now, we had a physical priesthood that was set up back there, and that was foreordained right from the time of Abraham. That we read in our scripture reading that Abraham 
that those tribes that were not even, uh, as it were, uh, uh, born yet, that would become uh, Judah and Levi and Benjamin and the rest of it, that they were in the loins of Abraham and that Abraham paid tithes for them. So now here comes the Levites who were foreordained to become the priesthood uh, tribe, the tribe that would be uh, where the priest would be uh, chosen from and brought out of to serve in the tabernacle. Now, they received tithes of men because their inheritance was not to have a parcel of land in the land of Canaan. Could you get me the Moses chart, please? Uh, their, their parcel of land that uh, Moses gave them in the land of Canaan were all already foreordained and, and organized according to the promise of which tribe would receive what area. Now, Levi did not get a parcel of land. Their job was the service of the tabernacle and then later on the temple. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want you to know is this, that Yahweh had set up this, 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 this principle with these Levites that they were uh, uh, receiving a position, an appointed position, to have a certain prominence and a, a, a job that they had to accomplish with the rest of the Israelites. So I want to take you over to the book of Leviticus. And I want to go to Leviticus. Uh, hang on one second here. I'm pulling it up. I want to go to the 10th chapter of Leviticus. And I want to start at 9. Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10, 10, 9. Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when thou go into the meeting tent of the congregation, lest thee die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. Now they were told not to drink. Is that my my uh, mic doing that? I'm I'm wondering the feedback. Know. All right, I don't either. Uh, they were told not to drink wine or strong drink when they officiated in the tabernacle. Now we know that physically they were told not to drink wine back then, but what that points to, and we know this to be a fact that over in the book of the prophets, Yahweh told them there were the drunkards of Ephraim. And that's over there in uh, uh, the book of Isaiah. Now, the, the drunkenness or the strong wine or drink or the wine in this case represents false doctrine. It represents people being intoxicated on inaccurate doctrine that would cause them to err in judgment. Now, what I want you to realize is everything you read back here is pointing to a spiritual application. So here he tells them not to drink strong uh, wine or strong drink. Now, go ahead, start reading again at 10. Pick it up at 10. And that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. Now, they, were, they were supposed to. They were supposed to be able to discern what is holy and what is unholy and what is clean and what is unclean. In other words, their job was to be, as it were, uh, well, read 11 first, because uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, what I'm about to say. Read 11. Verse 11, And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which Yahweh has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Now, the, the Levite's job 
was to teach the people of Israel what Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moses or what he spoke from Mount Sinai. Now what I want you to know is their job was to instruct them in what was acceptable to Yahweh and what wasn't acceptable. Uh, henceforth, the clean and the unclean, and what is holy and what is not holy. So they were just, job was to teach the people. Now these jobs were entrusted with that. Now we also know that they did not have books back then that they could hand out, or pamphlets, that they handed out to everybody in their tent, said go in your tent and read this. So there was only the book of the testimony or the book of the law that was read by the Levites. Their job was to correctly pass on that knowledge and that understanding to the rest of the body of Israel. Now, I also want to make another point about that tabernacle. In that tabernacle, get me a, the body tabernacle because it blows up the, the tabernacle a little bit more than the Moses chart. So if you could get the body tabernacle chart, I'd appreciate it. All right. Now, in that tabernacle, what we see is that Yahweh had set it up so that the only one that could go in that tabernacle to the most holy place was the high priest. No low priest in there, just the high priest could pass through that veil and go up into the most holy place. Now, what we're looking at, and I'm going to, there's many ways to tie this, this, this uh, example, this type and shadow into a, a other spiritual principle, but I want to take it from this standpoint. Now, it was mentioned by Cherie in her lecture. It was talked about when Moses could not take them over into the land of Canaan, that he had to hand that authority over to Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, I want to talk about why that's important. It's because that the low priests who are not permitted to go into the most holy place to make an atonement, they are typifying the law and the prophets. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Those that were, that, as Peter said, that it was not given by the will of men, but the scriptures by holy men of Yahweh that were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, what happened is Moses and the prophets who wrote down and passed on to the Israelites what doth saith Yahweh and their experiences when they had a vision, they themselves did not understand what those things were ultimately pointing to. Hold your point here. On, hold the tabernacle here. Go over and get me First Peter, the first chapter. First Peter want, 1. You know what? Okay, where, where, where you want to start? To? I don't want to get the first verse. I want to go down. Uh, hang on one second. Let me go over there with you so that uh, we don't waste a lot of time reading things that I'm not going to work with anyway. So let me go over well, to Peter. Go ahead. I'm sorry? Do you want for a holy man of Yahweh's fate? Nope, that's not what I want. Hang on for a minute. Let me, let me get over here and I'll tell you right where to start. I want to start... Oh, uh, boy, let's see here. Start at 8. First Peter 1 and 8. Mm -hmm. Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Now here's Peter writing to the people after the day of Pentecost that are in the congregation that have received the Holy Spirit. Now watch what he says now. He's going to take them back into the, into the scriptures. Read. That the trial of your faith being much more... Wait a minute. Weren't you, than... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're at 1-9. I apologize. Receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your soul. Now he's telling those after Pentecost that they have received the end of their faith, even the salvation of their souls. Read. Of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now the prophets also searched the very things that they wrote, trying to understand what it all meant, so to speak. And, uh, and to be quite frank, Dr. Kinley, was uh, there's a transcript that no one knew the purpose of Yahweh. Now, nobody knew the purpose of Yahweh down through the law and the prophets. So when these things were written, these prophets wanted to understand what the point was. Or in other words, what is it trying to get us to, under, uh, to know? And they prophesied, they said, they searched diligently who prophesies of the grace that should come unto you. Now, the grace that he's talking about is after the day of Pentecost, the revelation and opening of the mysteries of Yahweh's purpose are happening after the day of Pentecost, which were manifested by the things that we read down through the law and the prophets. Keep reading. Mm -hmm. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of the Messiah which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of the Messiah and the glory that should follow. Keep reading. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, what I want you to see here is that if you read that very carefully, when you want, when you get home, you want to reread that because he's saying it wasn't revealed to the prophets back then, but it was revealed unto us now by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm pointing that out for this reason. I'm trying to show you how the law and the prophets are like those two low priests. They're able to go into the tabernacle up to the veil, but they can't take it past the veil. That's because just as Moses was not allowed to take the people past the Jordan River and go into the land of Canaan to receive their inheritance, which is eternal life or salvation, it had to be given to Yahshua to take them over across that veil, or I'll say through the veil, if you look at it in the tabernacle, where they would then receive a revelation from Yahweh through Yahshua of this salvation that we're receiving now. The low priest, their job was to take you up to the veil, and then it was Yahshua that takes you beyond the veil, so to speak. Now that's why only the high priest, only the high priest could go into that most holy place and make an atonement. Now when you look at that high priest, I want, I'll ask you this question. You don't have to answer it on here, but you obviously you'll answer it in your own heart and mind. How many high priests were there at one time? There was only one high priest. Just one. Now, what I want you to realize, under the Levitical priesthood, it was a successive 
office the high priest, which means that when a high priest died, or he, he uh, even if he didn't die, once he hit 50, he had to, uh, as it were, vacate that office of the priesthood. He couldn't start it as a high priest till he was 30, and he couldn't go beyond the year of 50. So that means that he would have to pass it on to his eldest son under the Levitical law. And therefore, there was a succession of one high priest after the next, which showed that the priesthood back there was manifesting, I'm sorry, I'm pounding the table again, that it was manifesting that it was a temporary office under the Levitical priesthood. Now, what happened is this. Joshua, when he comes in, we all know that he was not born of the, of the, of the tribe of Levi. He was born out of the tribe of Judah, which is the kingship tribe. Now, what we understand is this. When Joshua comes in, he has to come in after a different order of priesthood. And the reason for that is this, because Joshua was the high priest, not after the day of Pentecost, but from the beginning of the purpose. That high priest, there was only one high priest that Yahweh put in this purpose. And that was Yahweh Elohim, who happens to be Yahshua, by the way. That was Yahshua, who was the high priest right from the beginning. And he, when he died on that cross, if he had been after the order of Levi, he would have had to have children. He would have had to have an older son that he could pass that on to. But because he was not of the order of Levi, that when he died on the cross and then resurrected again, a quickening spirit, he had succeeded himself and thereby became then, as it were, uh, understood and known as a spiritual priesthood after he resurrects a quickening spirit that is eternal and is uh, a never, uh, there is never going to be any other high priest but him. Now, here's another thing that I want you to see. That when that priest goes in there, he just can't go trucking up there wearing a pair of Levi's. You understand? He has to wear those garments of beauty and glory. Before he goes in there, he's got to be, he's got to resurrect from that holy place with garments of beauty and glory to go into the most holy place. And that's the way those garments are described in the book of Exodus as the garments of beauty and glory. Now, remember when Yahshua resurrected from the tomb, and I think it was Mary Magdalene, if I'm not mistaken, that he told her, touch me not, for I have not yet been glorified. Now, Yahshua has to ascend back into heaven in glory because he's got to fulfill the operation of the priesthood in the tabernacle, and in order for the atonement to be, as it were, uh, uh, official, I'll put it that way, he has to ascend back to the Father in a state of glory, ladies and gentlemen. And then he has to sprinkle the blood of the covenant, which is the blood of the new covenant, which is the preaching of the true gospel, at the Ark of the Covenant and at those angels that are up there on that Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it says that those angels desired to look into the things that were written by Moses and the prophets. They did not know the purpose either until Yahshua ascended to heaven and opens up the books and looses the seals and reveals them those great mysteries that were hidden down there in the scriptures. Now, Dr. Kinley once put it like this. He said, now, the, the, the Bible was written in such a way, he said, it was written in a mystery. 
so that when the devil read it, he would read it and not be able to understand it. It would take the one who wrote it to reveal it, he said. Now, what we understand now is this, that the purpose of Yahweh is hidden down in those scriptures. In, it's hidden in types and shadows and allegories, and I'm talking about the spiritual principle or the reality of what those things were pointing to. Now, on, uh, 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 from from Adam on down, uh, so the term was used. I believe it was used by uh, Sheree. She was talking about uh, uh, Joshua being an incognito, is the way she put it. And I often use this example that Joshua was operating his purpose from Adam on down in what we call in in a dark in dark. Uh, they call that going dark in the military when they keep things quiet. They don't open up yet. What They don't want their plans to be revealed yet. Now, what I want you to know is Joshua was operating dark from Adam on down. And by that, I'll simply say it like this. He wasn't revealing to anyone the purpose yet. But on the day of Pentecost, when Joshua rises from that state of death, he rises very early in the morning, which shows that both sons came up together in the resurrection. Both sons went down together in the transgression in the garden, and both sons come up together in the resurrection, which means the light of day is now beginning to dawn. So what we see is the reality of the light of the day is the opening up of the mysteries of Yahweh's purpose that were hidden in typed shadows and allegories. Now, now I, I've already worked with this in a, a couple of classes, and I want to talk about this real quick. In that Ark of the Covenant, hidden below the mercy seat, was a pot of manna, and also the book of the testimony was in there as well. Now, in Revelation, we read, and I don't have time to elaborate on these things, so I just want to throw it out, and I'm sure you'll be able to digest this your own self. But in Revelation, it talks about how he's going to give us to eat of the hidden manna. Now, we know that that manna, which was back there that was rained down, was a figure, was a type and a shadow. The true bread of life is the spirit of Yahshua that came down from heaven and was manifested in the flesh. And that all of his words, they were, they're not kind of like spirit. They're not like manifesting spirit. He said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Now those words, ladies and gentlemen, are food for thought. They are soul food. And Yahshua has to feed us with pastures, uh, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a uh, uh, shepherd, and he has to lead us to pastures where we could be able to eat and have our soul nourished by the truth and by the true principles and reality of understanding Yahweh's purpose and plan. Now, what I want you to see is that that priest, somebody had to put those things in that Ark of the Covenant. Now, what I want you to see is it was a Levite that put it in there. And before Aaron, uh, you know, we have Moses, as it were, who was a Levite also. And so what we find out is this, that the priesthood, in other words, it takes a priest to put the deposit that stuff down in there, and it's going to take a priest to bring that stuff up for us to be able to partake of. So when Yahshua comes in, we know already from our scripture reading tonight, he could not come in after the order of Levi. Why? Because he had no sin. The way the Levitical priesthood was set up, the priest had to first make an atonement for his own sin first, before he could make atonement for the people. So when Yahshua comes to John the Baptist, 
John the Baptist, he says, have you sinned? And Yahshua said, I have not. And he said, well, then I have need to be baptized of you. Because John recognized that he had sinned, that he was a sinner. And he also said, I'm not worthy to even loose the latch on his sandals. He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the point. The point is that Yahshua acknowledges that he has not sinned, that automatically, automatically dismisses him from becoming a high priest after the order of Levi. Mm -hmm. But he came into a priesthood and is a, uh, uh, if you will, the, uh, the, the reality of the priesthood that existed before Levi, which was the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, we already read in our scripture, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, that Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he was king of Salem, which means king of peace. He was king of righteousness and peace. Now, here's the thing that they don't elaborate on in that chapter we read over there in uh, the seventh chapter of Hebrews. And that is that, that that priest, Melchizedek, was actually greater than Abraham. And you say, well, why is that? It said the lesser is blessed of the greater. Which means that when Abraham received a blessing, he was blessed by someone greater than him. And he was chosen of Yahweh for Yahweh to bring his lineage of righteousness down through the lineage of Abraham. And I want you to recognize that this Melchizedek, which we don't know where he came from or where, where, when he left, was somebody very special. And I would tell you it like this that that was Yahshua that was back there. He was in that priesthood to start with, and he's got to end up in that priesthood at the end, so to speak. He's the beginning and the end, ladies and gentlemen, and he is the true king of righteousness, peace, and where there's righteousness and peace, there is joy, which is the byproduct of righteousness and peace. So now watch this. I want to go back to our scripture reading. I'm watching my clock very carefully here so that I don't miss something that I want to get out because I have to edit a lot of things to start with. But let me go back over for a minute. We were in, we were in um, hang on one second. Got to go back over to Hebrews 7. And I want you to go to the sixth chapter of Hebrews. And I want you to start where I'm going to tell you we're going to read a little bit into this. Uh, let's see here. Oh, let's see. I got to see. All right. I'm going to have to start here. Start at verse, I believe it's 18. Hebrews 6 and 18. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Start at 17. I'm sorry. Wherein Yahweh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Mm -hmm. Now listen, here's what an oath is, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, here's what an oath is. All right? An oath is a promise. When you make an oath, you make a promise, ladies and gentlemen. So Yahweh has set up a promise. And that promise is how the first priesthood was established. I mean, how the Melchizedek priesthood is established upon an oath. The Levitical priesthood was not established upon an oath, as we read in the seventh chapter. Keep reading. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for Yahweh to lie, 
we might have a strong consolation. Now listen, listen, everyone. I guess I'm I guess I'm doing that. I'm not sure, but I think I'm causing that feedback. But here's what I want you to see. It is impossible for Yahweh to lie. Now listen to this. If it is impossible for Yahweh to lie, it is impossible for Yahshua to lie. Why? Because it was Yahweh in Yahshua that was walking around back there. It was Yahweh in Yahweh Elohim, and it was Yahweh in Yahshua. And if Yahweh dwells in a vessel, then it is impossible. It is impossible for that spirit of Yahshua to lie because it is an exact demonstration and replication of the divine attributes that show forth the nature of the Father himself. Because Yahweh in that state of pure spirit cannot be comprehended in that entirety of pure spirit. He has to break himself down and, and, and make himself known to us in part. So when he formed Yahweh Elohim to be king and high priest, the nature or the organization of the divine attributes of intelligence, knowledge, and wisdom in proper proportions, by the way. If you look in the tabernacle, everything that was mixed, whether it be the incense or whether it was the anointing oil, was proportionate according to the art of the apothecary. And if you put too much of one thing in or not enough of another thing, it would distort the very nature of that incense or of that oil, which would then not be a reflection of Yahweh himself. So when Yahweh formed Elohim, he formed him with a certain amount of knowledge tempered by wisdom, tempered by uh, intelligence, and, 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 and all of it is imbued with love. All of these attributes are put into a configuration to demonstrate a divine nature, which means the soul of Yahweh is being revealed through the operation of that divine nature that was in Yahweh Elohim and Yahshua. And therefore, when Yahshua resurrects, and as you know, before he was put on that cross, he said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. But not my will be done, your will be done. He always would lay down his will to do the will of his Father, which made him worthy when he offered, and this is in the book of Isaiah, that he offered his soul for a ransom for our souls that were in, were, uh, in sin and in condemnation. And Yahweh accepted the, 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 the soul of Yahshua to cause him to be uh, forgiving of us and to receive us through Yahshua the Messiah. That's why he has made us meet to be partakers. Now, when that high priest goes into that most holy place, he's carrying up. If, if you, I don't know if you can blow up that high priest there or not, but he's carrying up with him that breastplate with the 12 stones. Those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel with their names engraved in those stones. And he bears on his shoulders two onyx stones which show forth six tribes on one shoulder, six on the other. And his coat, his linen coat, is embroidered with angels. What he's doing, ladies and gentlemen, when he ascends into heaven in the garments of beauty and glory, he is carrying up all of the elect 
all of the souls, all of those that needed a Savior to bring him, them with him, within him, so to speak. I'm trying to show you how that, that garment becomes a part of him. He is carrying that up before the Father and offering his blood for the acceptance of their, uh, uh, for, to, to be forgiven and to be cleansed. And what I want you to recognize is when that flash of the Shekinah takes place, that is the appearance of Yahweh Elohim on that mark or the divine organized attributes. And it reflects off the breastplate of those stones which shows that that, 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 in, that, that uh, nature is now imbued within those stones or within those souls that those stones represented. And it's also reflecting off a plate that he's wearing on his forehead that says holiness unto Yahweh. He is bringing us up and his, as the fruit of his labor, wearing those garments of beauty and glory, and the Father's accepting us, even though we didn't have the divine nature, he loved us when we were without strength. As it says in Romans, the fifth chapter. And through Yahshua, we have received an inheritance. Now, in Romans, the eighth chapter, it says that we are joint heirs with him. And I want you to know that you receive a portion of his inheritance. Now, the, the, the land of Canaan, that whole land, Dr. Kinley once said that Abraham walked the length and the breadth of, of Canaan's land, but never once set foot in the promised land. Now, the promised land is to dwell in Yahshua the Messiah, that Canaan's land is a type and a shadow and a figure of. Now, every one of those tribes got a parcel of that land, ladies and gentlemen, to show that they received a portion of the inheritance of Yahshua himself. We are joint heirs with him, which means he is the one that's getting the inheritance of righteousness, peace, and joy, and we, we are receiving a portion of that being put within him. And we become then, as it were, uh, glorified with the glory that he has with the Father. We receive a, 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 an inheritance, of, as Paul put it, get Colossians, the first chapter. And I want you to go, go to where he says he hath made us meet to be partakers. I'm rushing because I see I've only got about six minutes left and I'm trying to be obedient to the clock. So I want you to hear this. There's so much in this priesthood, it's absolutely in incredible what Yahweh is showing forth with these, these things that he has laid down in the scriptures. Now, it's not 126, it's down further around 10 or 11. Colossians Try 1 and 12. 1 and 12, thank you. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the sons in light. Thus, the inheritance is of the sons being in light. Now, we're not talking about the light of the sun out in the, out in the sky or uh, some artificial light. We're talking about that you will have an inheritance in Yahshua and be lit up. Your soul will be uh, become a flame of fire. You will become, as it were, a source of that light, ladies and gentlemen, that shines brightly, that reflects Yahweh himself. And Yahshua's job is to reveal the Father to us in part. And that nature, if it not be in you, you cannot possibly comprehend what Yahweh is in that state of pure spirit without you having a portion of those attributes operating in within you. 
And that's what we're getting under this new covenant. We're getting a new nature. We're becoming born again in the Spirit. We're becoming new creatures in Yahshua the Messiah by the impregnation of his words in our souls. Five minutes, I see it. Okay, uh, that's what's going on under this new covenant. And we're carried up with him. And this, this, this Melchizedek priesthood, let's not forget this. I'll throw this in in closing. In, in the 19th chapter of Exodus, Yahweh told Israel that he would make them a kingdom, a kingdom of priests. Now, what I want you to recognize is that we are being put in Yahshua, who is the high priest, and we are being uh, uh, translated into the kingdom. We become a priest in this kingdom. And, and I want you to understand this, that the priest could not enter into the office of the priesthood unless he was first washed and anointed. That's back there in when Moses took Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and his sons. He washed them at the labor. I see the sign. And then he anointed them. Now, when you come into class, the preaching of the gospel, which is the preaching of the sprinkling of living water on your soul, will cleanse your inner man from all kinds of theories, concepts, opinions, bad thinking, bad judgment calls, you name it. And then we are receiving that Holy Spirit, which is the anointing oil, that is coming in and anointing our soul, making us acceptable to be priests in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah. And we are, he is the king and high priest. He, there's only one high priest. He's the king of kings, ladies and gentlemen. We are becoming kings and priests in his kingdom, and he is the king of the priest. You understand? And he is the only intercessor between Yahweh and us. And I tell you this, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Even if you're a doorman in the house of Yahweh, that is far greater than anything you've ever had in this life. I would be happy just to open and close the door as long as I was in that kingdom. I don't need to be up there of any high esteem or anything like that. I just want to be able to experience the righteousness, peace, and joy in Yahshua the Messiah. I know you feel the same way also. I hope something I said made some sense. I'm sorry that I had to rush through it. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. And all I can say is peace in Yahshua to all the brethren. I'll hand it back to the moderator. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. 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 Very beautiful. So I'll do the doxology first. Taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let the class say hallelujah. 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 hallelujah.